0: Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditch Witch, proud to support the sport you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined again today by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Bass Edge TV can be seen three times weekly on the Outdoor Channel and also on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. Aaron, what do we got for the good folks today?
1: Hey, we have another good show lined up where we head out to uh, Clear Lake in California there where we stayed at Skylark Shores, joining Jamie Ciphers and then also Pete Ponsby along a little later talking about crankbaits. Oh, man, that sounds excellent. Let's get to it.
2: Get it like that, boy. Good job.
3: I don't know of any other sport that offers the
2: challenge with Bass fishing though. Oh, oh, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. Whoa. Whoa. Watch for the fish to pace the bait.
1: What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there.
4: You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge.
0: I guess uh, at least one of us got out on the water.
1: Yeah, uh, you could say that, and I would be the one uh, since you kind of <laughs> backed out on me. Here, you've been riding me the whole, you know, last couple months uh, about getting out on the water, and then what do you do? You back out. Back out.
0: No, but I backed out. I was I was sick. Well, uh,
1: trust me, I, I caught a few for you. Well, that's what I heard, <laughs> and uh, God missed and John. How was John? <laughs> Great. You know, we, we hit the water on, on Friday, uh, did the story as, as what we've been talking about here uh, on deep fishing and kind of that electronics uh, DVD that we came out with. And then also, uh, I've got to tell you, Steve, your jigs, man, we loved using them, and uh, they did the trick. So the, the jigs? we the ones that caught the fish. Uh, the, 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 the jigs were the, definitely outperformed. The Steve jigs, okay. The, the Steve okay. jigs, and uh, I, I've got to tell another one, those are no secret anymore, obviously, because we just did an article on them, so when those hit the airwaves, that will no longer be a secret, but then uh, there was a lot of guys there at the boat ramp that was taking out, and a buddy of mine who I've fished with a lot, you know him, uh, J.R. Isom, was there, and they had a tournament the next day, but uh, they went on to basically use some of those techniques that we had talked about on the electronics DVD and uh, even gave him a couple of the jigs that I had left over, and uh, they went on to take first place the next day. So congratulations out to them.
0: Oh, wow. You think I get a cut? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I told them your agency fee uh, just, just went up. You know, but but speaking of getting a cut, you know, I did come up with a way, you know, you've been talking about how to kind of increase the, the earnings a little bit more there in the the Steve Brigman 401k. Absolutely. And, Always. You know, I I I had this idea, you know, Toyota has this new deal out where you can win these, this contingency money on both the BASS and FLW side, and even on into the club, where if you win, you get a check for 5,000. So I'm thinking we ought to gear you up a little bit more, you know, start fishing some tournaments and, and earn a few checks and, uh, there you go, you can fund that uh, retirement a little bit more.
0: Oh, me fishing tournaments? Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's a good money after bad right there. I, I tell you what. Uh just don't have it in me, you know. I'm kind of a laid back fisherman, you know. I'm I'm the guy that's nobody's looking. I've got the big straw hat on and <laughs> up.
1: But uh but I'm just tickled
0: to death about my jigs. Did they stay together okay?
1: Oh no, they stayed together fantastic. And I mean John and I were on the front of the boat, and of course you know how it is when you're deep fishing like that. You're fishing vertically. But uh two different times we had simultaneous hooks where we both had fish on, and Steve, you could literally see on the graph there was three and four fish that was coming up at the same time. You know, it was really exciting. Well, that's fun. I'm going gonna,
0: I'm gonna to need to tie some more. You know, the problem is I started, uh, it, it, I'm always like this, tying flies and stuff, but I start off, they start off looking one way, and then they evolve, and it's like there's no two in there that look alike. But I think I figured out a pattern that I think is the way to go, and I might just uh, tell folks uh, on the edge here in a week or two how to tie.
1: Well, hey, don't go changing them up for my benefit, because what you have is, is working. You know, we're getting ready to kind of hit that those spring transitions. Had a little break in the weather, you know, with the air temperature, and uh, they're working just the way they are.
0: Yeah, I walked outside just a little while ago with the dog, and I was amazed how, how warm it is. It was kind of that first little feeling of, man, spring's coming. And, uh, Aaron, I just wanted to ask you, I you know, you fish table rock so much, and now you're on those deep fish. But when do you expect to see a change there? When do you expect to see fish start getting off those big shad? is moving into more of a spring-like
1: pattern. Well, you know, this is the time of year, and and of course, we talk about this a lot in the seasonal patterns and conditions seminar that we give, but, you know, spring is one of those times of year where you have those violent changes in weather, and the air temperature can certainly be a little bit misleading. Now, I can tell you that the good thing is those fish started way back in January. They know spring's coming, and they know that, uh, you know, the spawn is getting closer, obviously, but the good thing about the deeper fish and and what I am looking for right now are those staging areas, meaning the steeper banks that going to be adjacent to some of those spawning pockets. They're starting to make their way further back into the coves a little bit. But if you think about it, the water temperature that's down relatively deeper compared to the body of water that you're fishing, all they have to do is move up and down in the water column to find that comfort. Because really, as we've talked about many, many times here, fish need three things. And that is comfort, food, and security. So I really just go by uh, the water temperature, which really when you start seeing that that surface temperature getting into the mid-50s, you know that those fish are going to be moving a little bit shallower. They're going to abandon those schools of bait fish and start relying heavily on some of the brim and a lot of the crayfish because the crayfish, remember, they're cold-blooded as well, but they start loosening up from being buried up under all those big boulders and those rocks, so they're going to be a little more prevalent, a little easier to catch, uh, you know, for the energy that's being expanded. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking there right now, and don't be misled by this air temperature moving up and down. I mean, those fish are on the move. Right, and I know it won't be very
0: long here until that suspended jerkbait bite that can be just so good on our lake, and I'm sure it is on a lot of lakes.
1: Oh, absolutely, and you know, that's the thing, is you know, some of these deeper fish were using a smaller bait, and in this case, the jig or the drop shot style, but that suspended jerkbait, you get a deeper diving one use in the same areas that we're fishing for these deeper ones, because a lot of times they'll get up in those trees and suspend, and uh, you know, you can pick them off with, with a jerkbait. But then, of course, Steve, you know, you go down a little bit further south, say into the Florida, those guys are already going full strength. And I just talked last night with a buddy of mine down in Louisiana on the Red River, and he said that uh, by this week... He said those fish are going to be on eggs, so it's going to be interesting to see what the upcoming yeah. Bassmasters Classic has. You know, and then further north they have ice, so it's all relative according to where you're at geographically. But bottom line, just keep in mind that those fish know that warmer weather is coming and they are on the move.
0: So you're just watching water temperature
1: there. Eh? I'm I'm watching water temperature, but that is not uh, you know that is not the sole determining factor. The moon plays a big key in there because of, you know, obviously that provides illumination at night. And I think that's kind of a calendar or a trigger, if you will, for the fish to where when they come in to spawn, they Mm -hmm. can see better. The males can see better to be able to defend the nest. But also, I think it's nature's way of uh, overwhelming the predators that feed on the eggs. And so when you start seeing that water temperature uh, get into that 60 range, and you've got that full moon This position right there as well, that's where it really starts coming together for, for the spawn.
0: It won't be long, my friend. No. I'm ready. It won't be long till we get out and shoot and uh, start man. shooting shows. Uh, and uh, We'll have some of that good spring action right up front.
1: No question. And, uh, you know, that's the, the interesting thing that's coming up with the interview with Jamie is, you know, we were there out at Clear Lake, and and obviously it was later into the year, but how those fish reacted and, and the different ways that we caught them. So uh, it's going to be a good year.
0: Take it And Let's get to that interview by Jamie right after this.
4: You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the Tow and Stole Receiver Hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made b famous. The Tow and stow receiver hitch by b Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witch's On. establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility.
1: All right, we are back on the Edge, and joining us for this week's Angler Spotlight is the Western professional, Mr. Jamie Stifers. Jamie, thanks so much uh, for being part of the Edge.
2: Hey, thank you for having me, here.
1: You know, I've been looking forward to this interview, obviously, uh, for multiple reasons, but also just because uh, we were able to spend some time together uh, up in Northern California on Clear Lake and man what a fantastic fishery.
2: Uh, It's an amazing fishery isn't it? Uh, It was great to have you guys come out here and I think for uh, all the Western viewers of Bass Edge obviously that numbers growing vastly each and every month. Um, they're, They're real excited I think people are real excited to see you know how a couple guys you know just Hit the lake no pre-fish and go out and, and how we did and you know speaking of
1: the western anglers you know certainly uh you guys get to to enjoy that quite often but also for the rest of us you know who maybe don't get to venture out man i tell you what it just has a tremendous potential and it's no wonder why uh you know so many anglers like to to go up there and visit that you know before we dive off really into the the specifics of what we did that day during the show You've been so busy, I, I you know, I, I don't even know how you do it, because not only are you traveling, you know, fishing the multiple tournaments uh, there in the West, and, and also, you know, you fish a lot back East, but, you know, you've got a couple other things going on uh, and other duties that are are outside of just tournament fishing.
2: Um, I do. Um, first and foremost, my position is I handle the Western United States for Legend Boat, and I also handle a lot of our national advertising, buying and uh, and placement and things of that nature and working with our pro staff. So... That in itself is two jobs essentially, uh, covering the western United States and then handling the advertising nationally. And then uh, at Legend Boats, we are affiliated with Anglers Choice Tournament Trails, which is the largest team circuit in the country, and they have an in-house publication called Bass West USA, and uh, Bass West has been around for over a decade. Um, I think many, many anglers nationwide are very familiar with Bass West USA. So, I handled the editor position of Bass West on top of working for Legend in the western United States so yeah i I feel like sometimes I have four jobs yeah. <laughs> four jobs, and you know and i 'm no different than a lot of the people out there um since the time I was eight years old. Um, I grew up in Las Vegas my uncle's a full time guide on Lake Mead. Uh, My dad builds custom fishing rods and he just loves to fish. My grandfather lives in Missouri. He loves to fish. And for the longest time, I wanted to go ahead and be a professional angler and be a competitive angler. But, you know, as you grow older and uh, and come out of college and different stuff, I had a family like a lot of people. And it just didn't seem like I was in a situation to take off and travel across America to become a professional and competitive angler. So, being that I love fishing, I got involved in the industry side of it, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy the magazine, I enjoy working for Legend Boats, you know, we're just building a product I'm so proud of, and on top of that, I get to hang out and meet great people like you, and. You know, last summer I got to take Brad Paisley fishing, and I, I still get to compete a little bit. But, uh, you know, I found a way using my college education to go ahead and make a living in the fishing industry. And uh, it's exciting, and I'm pretty proud to be able to say I can do that.
1: Well, and, and certainly you've done it well because not only, you know, you you have some great accomplishments both as a career but also as an angler, um, you know, through uh, the WON uh, there in the the uh, US Open I think last year it was that uh, I believe you finished second or third and so you continue to do well and I th- I think that speaks a lot you know, to a lot of our listeners, because obviously, you know, just having that ability to not only fish, but also be involved in the industry, you know, really puts you at a, at a different
2: level. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I, I don't know if I think of it that way. And, and you probably don't either. I mean, uh, it becomes somewhat surreal. You know, you go out and you get to you get to educate and, and, and entertain people every week, you know, and you get to do it doing something you love. Yeah. And uh, you're not a lot different from me. We both obviously went to school. To anybody out there listening that wants to get involved in having a fishing show, or being an industry rep or fishing competitively, uh, getting an education is huge. And I think you kind of recognize some of the same things that I did, that, hey, it's a tough road to hoe. And if you can find some other avenues or find a niche that's not being filled, in your case, we needed some real good, strong tournament avenues and some good education out there. And and Bass Edge really gives the latest and greatest news, really gets out there and gives an angler um, informative information. You know, it's just not Bubba back there, you know. Uh, just casting out an old, you know, auger tail worm with, uh, you know, purple and white, <laughs> white polka dots, right? Where actually you're out there feeling a need and uh, filling a niche. And uh, and I saw an avenue there as well and uh, and took advantage of it. And,
1: well, and it, and it reminds me a lot. It, it's kind of like fishing, you know, it's all about the decisions. And certainly all of us, uh, uh, one of the things that I like to throw out there is is all of us have the opportunity. And, you know, speaking of opportunity. Uh, way back uh, I guess it was, I I don't know, I think it was a holiday weekend actually that uh, somehow mistakenly when we (laughs) scheduled the the filming date up there I think we were over there Labor Day and before we jump into the specifics of what we did and why we did uh, made those decisions that we made perhaps uh, you could give us a quick description of of how you break down and, and what Clear Lake is and maybe for those who are going to be venturing out to Clear Lake what they can expect and uh, you know some of the things to be aware of.
2: Well, uh, first and foremost, Clear Lake sits in Northern California and it's a um, hundred and so miles north of Sacramento and the lake sits at about twelve hundred feet of elevation. It's basically broken into two basins. Um, there's an area they call the Narrows or the Corkscrew that kind of divides the two arms. Uh, the top half of Clear Lake is relatively shallow, um, average depth in the top basin is probably only eight or nine feet max with a lot of four and five foot flats and it's shallow it's sandy somewhat silted in there's a lot of tules. Uh there is some hydrilla uh, unfortunately um, there's a lot of grass and uh, you know docks everywhere so it's it's just frog heaven you know it's everything you would think about in a, in a shallow shallow uh, reservoir Or even something you see maybe down like in the California Delta or the Arkansas River. I mean, it really has some avenues there that are are much more common in the east than they are out west. And then the lower half of Clear Lake is the exact opposite. It uh, has depths that reach 60 feet deep. Uh, That's about the maximum on the lake. There's uh, some good big chunk rock walls and uh, bluff walls, uh, things that you might find in central Missouri and, and lakes like that that are uh, great for drop shotting and cranking and things of that nature uh, and a lot more rock. And uh, essentially at the end of the day, you know, to me it's like a giant pond. It has one major tributary that comes in and one major tributary that goes out. And other than that, it's, there's not a lot of influx of water. But you do have sloughs and you do have a, a, a ton of docks and marinas that really make it a viable place to fish.
1: You know, and I know that's a lake that you had spent some time on prior to us actually filming there, but never really had spent any time during that time of year uh, that we picked. My personally, you know, I had never spent any time there. And so obviously you and I leading up to discussions that we had, hey, you know, what What do you think is going to be working? Uh, what do we need to concentrate on? Bottom line, when we launched the boat that morning, we had several rods, you know, that were uh, basically rigged up
2: with uh, kind of a variety of lures. Yeah, I think when we started out that morning, we had at least six to eight, <laughs> uh, six to eight rods, uh, probably like four each. And of course, uh, they all had uh, concisely different baits. Um, we had top water to uh, three eight-ounce shaky heads for fishing in 30 feet, about everything in between, truthfully. You know, one of the keys when we Kind of, I think going in, we we had an idea of what was going on. Um, I'd made a few phone calls. Obviously, um, I live in Las Vegas, so I, I'm ten, eleven hours away. But the opportunity to come up and fish Clear Lakes just one that you you don't turn down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and after having competed in the U.S. Open for the nine days prior to that, and uh, where you're out fishing for you know six, seven pound sacks just to stay in the money, uh, you come down here on any cash you could get a ten or eleven or a exactly. twelve. So. Um, we really didn't know what we were in for. Um, so I think we, we kind of took it on the approach that we would cover as much water. Um, I think from the days of you fish and the FLW and the strand stuff, and you and I kind of put our heads together and said, okay, this is basically pre-fished. You know, we got we got to get out there and uh, we got to cover water and we've got basically the next, you know, 12 hours to put something together that's viable that people would enjoy. And I think we kind of did that. I think people are going to really enjoy this show.
1: Well, and one of the things that I remember is uh obviously, you know, when we travel that far through just production, you have to allow for weather and, and those type of things. So fortunately we built into the schedule uh enough time to where if things didn't go so well or we had some sort of frontal system that moved through, uh we had that time. And lo and behold, you know, day one we arrive, the wind is howling straight out of the north at about uh, probably about 25 to 30 miles an hour and on a wide open pond like that it simply uh, put us dead in the water from filming because obviously that's just not you will get seasick if you try and watch that so we had a little bit of regrouping to do uh, before we could really hit the water um, you know, and and go out there and, and target the bass. Uh, one of the things that you said that I I thought was very very key when we started that morning is the key is going to be really just moving around and letting the fish tell us what's going on. And you started with that top water early on, and uh, you know I kind of backed up with a cinco.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and it worked out. And I I think we did a good job number one in complementing each other in the fact that. For people out there that fish tournaments, they can relate to this. Uh, if you're just going out with your family and your kids and you're enjoying yourself, here's an idea. Typically we fish two different type baits. And I started on top and I was really looking for aggressive uh, fish. I was, I was throwing a reaction bait. Uh, something that I could move quickly, get the trolling motor on 65 to 70% and really get down around these pads, these toolies, and try to eliminate water. And so we started about as shallow as you can start. And then we went as far out on some of these points as we could get, and we literally just covered from A to Z as fast as we could the water with four different baits. And essentially, at that time, those baits were I was throwing a, a loud, aggressive buzz bait. I uh, was throwing a more subtle popping frog, a little uh, ferber is the name of the bait.
1: Yeah I think we uh, referenced it
2: as Stuart Little in the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah, Stuart Little. Yeah I think somewhere on there we drew don't eat me on the bottom <laughs> yeah. to, try to, to try to entice and make it a really scared little uh, frog or mouse for that matter. And then of course you had a, a strike king race tail on which was again a very fast aggressive bait. Um, and then you had the Senko there and one thing that worked out really well for us in a few of those areas where we did get bit early on uh, we stopped for a second, and of course, you just went to town on that Senko. I mean, you just put a whipping on them.
1: When I look at you know anglers and, and kind of their their questions and hey, what does it take to be successful? There was a decision that that uh, I, I think you kind of brought up and we jointly made, but was really keying in on those isolated mats. And when I look back on on our day, and you know, feel free to to jump in if you agree or disagree. But it seemed like that—that that is really where the the concentrations of of bites were coming.
2: I think you're absolutely right. Um, they were definitely on those walls of those uh, really isolated uh, isolated mats. They were thicker mats. They were a little larger and thicker. Um, what we found up there, and what people see on the show, is there was a lot of sparse vegetation and small mats and just stringy stuff kind of scattered all around, but with no real substance, you know. And when we found those larger mats that were thicker and that were a a little tighter umbrella, so to speak, a better canopy, I think they presented a a better ambush spot, a better shade, just a a better fit for the bigger fish. So I think think you're absolutely right. That was huge for us. But with that said, we actually had to move around a lot to find them. And so us covering a lot of water, uh, fishing very aggressively and fast, you fishing underneath me at times, me fishing over the top of you with the top water, you coming back uh, with the Senko and, and really pitching it in for those suspended fish. Um, we mixed a crankbait into the mix. We actually went deep and did some, uh, did some drop shotting and some shaky heads, uh, throwing a swim bait. I mean, we really went out here, and when people see the show, they're going to see that we went out there and we kind of threw the tackle box at them. I mean, we had only so much time, and with that weather front coming through, we were cut. Dead in half, right there. Yeah, <laughs> so we needed to go out, and we needed to we needed to go out and figure out how we were going to get some quality fish. Well, and
1: and you know when I think about that, looking back, that was really the highlight of, of the trip for me. Is you know, of course, we were getting the bites, and granted, it is yeah, it's extremely tough, you know, to leave biting fish, but. You know, we agreed that once something starts working, okay, we're going to try and improve upon that. And that really is is what fishing is all about. And when we moved out and you took us down to that that long, uh, it was a deeper bluff, had some some big, you know, boulders and lava rock, you know, we started marking some fish out off that channel. And you picked up that DD-22, that red one, and I mean, literally, no more than we started marking fish, you had two fish in the boat, just boom, boom.
2: Well, I did, and they were nice fish. I'll tell you what, there was that was great. Uh, for me, the truth of the matter, the most exciting thing along that wall, the area is actually uh, in the Shag Rock area of the lake, and the thing that was most exciting to me was you picked up that baitsmith uh, <laughs> sinking swim bait, and uh, my guess is, you know, from our conversations, a little bit larger than most of the country has ever thrown yeah, uh, or even think to throw. Man, that's it. bigger than some bass I've weighed uh, in. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I think you could put it in a frying pan, and your wife would probably cook it up without it. <laughs> You know, it's that realistic, and it's that big. But you about had the rod ripped out of your hand a couple times there. And just to see the look on your face when they smashed that, you just had a look on your face when you looked back at me like you have to be kidding (laughs) me. Oh,
1: you know, and my thought was you can't come to California without throwing a swim bait. And, you know, those are so effective. But the other thing I, I think that we we w- really wanted to focus in on is trying to come up with as many patterns as what we could, constantly trying to improve to say, okay, can we do it a little bit better? Is there something else that's going on over here? If not, then regrouping and going back to what uh, kind of got us to the dance.
2: Well, and a, lot of, a lot of that, I think, is the fact that we were catching, you know, we were catching the snot out of two to four pounders. But I think we really, really, really wanted to hit a tab. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was our goal and so we kept looking at it now the flip side of that is and once again just a great thought for a lot of people um, you know fishing a lot of tournaments in, and even when i was younger having been a tournament director is a lot of times people get so caught up on that there's one thing going on in the lake and even though you know we really had no pre-fish or anything uh, we had to go get our boats inspected for zebra mussels and that was almost, uh, on top of doing the right thing and being a steward of nature, I think w- it, it played in our favor a little bit because all of a sudden we spoke to a number of different anglers at the local tackle store where they did that, and, and we spoke to the gentleman who was running the store. And So we had some different tips, different people were telling us different things. Some people were saying, hey, it's all about frogs, you gotta throw them all day, and other people were saying, no, it's buzzbaits, and other people were telling us, no, the buzz baits were two weeks ago, they're dead, Well, they're sure falling off. And, uh, a couple guys said, No, oh, you know, the fishing's really tough. You got to go drop shots. The only way you're going to catch him And so I think with that, we kept an open mind. We covered a lot of water um we made a great decision in slowing down around some of those thicker mats because you just put a whooping on me with that scent <laughs> no. i'll tell you what it was killing me and we only had so many of them in the month, <laughs> right was, and, yeah, 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 exactly. in yeah I, mean, I had my
1: own private we had
2: one pack and it was the, you know, we had one pack i think of green pumpkin and we needed the big ones these are good sized fish so they weren't they were just snubbing their nose at the little stuff you know they wanted those six and seven inches and Aaron, as I recall, had a pack of the green pumpkin in his pocket, and I got stuck with watermelon, <laughs> yeah. which is ironic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what we found that day was we did. We found four or five great patterns. We found a really solid drop shotting and shaky head pattern that we could utilize out off some deep ridges. Uh, We found some crankbait fish pretty quick and figured out that on uh, bluffy type rock and chunk rock and rock piles that we could crank up some fish. We found that there was a good buzzbait and frog bite going in the morning. Even though our percentage of hookup wasn't real good, we still were getting the blowups and the fish were kind of showing themselves to us. And then, of course, you would go in and put a whooping on (laughs) with a sinkhole. Well, I call it the tag team, you know. Absolutely. You know, when you're fishing with your buddy or a team tournament, you don't care. how. I mean, I'm I'm one of those. I'll net them all day. Oh, I'm I'm the same way. And, you know, Jamie,
1: unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, It's always a pleasure. It was a great show, great time. And I thought you did a fantastic knockdown job of uh, really giving us kind of a flavor of Clear Lake and what we can expect and, and something for uh, really, our listeners and, and viewers to be able to improve upon uh, should they be able to spend some time visiting that. Any closing thoughts or comments uh, before we hit the road?
2: No, I just enjoyed it uh, very much, so and uh, I'm very proud to be affiliated with Legend Boats and uh, be affiliated with Bass Edge. It's been a great relationship, and uh, I know you love your 211. And uh, man, it's just great seeing you out there in it. And it just seems like everywhere I turn around, you know, Bass Edge is out there, and we sure appreciate everything you're doing for us and getting the word out about our little boat company and. As far as Clear Lake goes, it's just a phenomenal lake. Uh, for people interested in coming out and fishing Clear Lake, I think you would encourage it as much as I would. Uh, there's a number of great resorts right around the lake. It's a beautiful lake, and I think you can go out and have a chance at catching a 10- or 15-pound bass. So.
1: Well, no question, and and certainly right out, Uh, you know, one of the things I remember was going down to the dock of the evening when the cameras weren't rolling right there in front of uh, Skylark Shores and catching several right there on that grass mat out in front. But once again, Jamie, thank you so much uh, for being part of the Edge. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be affiliated with Legend Boats. And if you have questions for Jamie, be sure to visit us at BassEdge.com under Ask the Pros. Send in your question, and Jamie will certainly get a reply back. Jamie, best of luck in the future, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. as well.
5: Power. Productivity.
1: Speed. It's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow. Dumper. Tiller. Backhoe dump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zon, the revolution, is here.
2: I'm Sean Harnke, and you're on the edge.
0: Well, Jamie's always a good time, man. He is
1: a (laughs) who. He was, I tell you what, he, you know, of course I have a great time with all the anglers out there. I I just can't say enough. We had an absolute blast, and he communicates well, and I thought he did a good job of communicating the information there on Clear Lake.
0: Well, I've seen some of the show. It's one of the ones I didn't go on. I I did not go on three of them this year. How did you guys catch them out there?
1: Well, it it, it came down to, you know, clear like we were there uh, late September. And, you know, when you think of... September fishing across the nation, I mean, that's not really one of the months, you know, the ideal months that would get cornered as, you know, big fish, a lot of numbers. However, what I can say that Jamie did a wonderful job, you know, fishing is one of those deals to where you've just got to fish the conditions that you're given. And not always can we structure our vacation time or the days that we have to hit the water based upon weather, based upon seasonal patterns or or whatever. You know, you've got to put it into perspective. And I think Jamie did a fantastic job of that. Literally, we have had numerous patterns going on. You know, he started out throwing that frog that was actually called the furbert, and it was a popping frog that had the popping mouth on it, so it made some noise there. But then off the back of it, it actually had a piece of rabbit fur. It was all white. And then a little spinner a willow leaf small spinner that was on the back of it we were getting a lot of fish to show and he caught one of the better fish actually on that but when they would come up and show themselves steve i had just a senko a you know a soft stick bait that whenever they would miss that throw back in on them and it was amazing how many fish you would actually get to eat that would not take up with that frog but they would eat that senko and just by having two guys on the front deck of the boat being prepared, throwing that chase bait as a follow-up in there, man, they would eat it.
0: Man, that sounds fun. Oh, it Uh, was. But it wasn't all top waters down there, was it? Oh,
1: absolutely not. No, I mean, we did that, uh, tried that off and on throughout the day. I would say the predominant pattern, of course, you know, we caught, we went out and moved out on some deeper fish, tried the big swim bait, literally lowered the trolling motor down, and if you remember it from the show, I mean, the bait fish were just absolutely crazy in there, the amount of bait fish. And we started marking some fish underneath those schools, so I grabbed This big old swim bait, you know, you can't go to Clear Lake without throwing the swim bait. Had one really good that just knocked about five foot of slack in my line, and I missed. So Jamie picked up a DD-22 and uh, started running that under them and caught literally back-to-back twin. uh, They were, I I would say, about four-pounders right out from under those. Then we moved out with a shaky head. But the mainstay of our pattern throughout the course of that day was getting out on those isolated grass mats and taking that uh, soft stick bait. And and it was really interesting, Steve, because it had to fall vertically down the face of those isolated grass mats. And the rate of fall was absolutely key. You know, we experimented with a five-inch, a 6-inch and a 7-inch, and the 6-inch is what actually caught the most fish, and they would not eat the other ones nearly as well. We mixed up the uh, the weight that we were using on that to try and experiment a little bit with the rate of fall, and you had to hand spool it, meaning that you had to take your hand and pull the line off your reel, because any tension, if you didn't do that, just that tension of, of that bait trying to pull that line off the spool of your reel would cause that to cantilever and out of the strike zone back towards the boat. So it was very, very important to take that line, peel that off with your hand. And those fish were just holding in those shaded pockets around the facing of those isolated grass mats.
0: That sounds familiar. I mean, I've fished that way in Texas and that's just a good way to look for fish wherever you're fishing.
1: No question. And uh, like I said, I mean, there was numerous patterns that was going on, but um, we had a lot of fun, caught a lot of fish, a lot of different ways. And I think that speaks volumes about what they're doing there on Clear Lake. But man, it was a blast.
0: Man, Aaron, you're giving away some good information today. <laughs> giving away hey, all the you're secrets. you just a wealth of fishing knowledge, i tell you what. Well, why don't you give
1: away some product? Oh, okay, we'll do that, Well, uh, This week, our winner is Scott from Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Congratulations, Scott, as you will be receiving a Bass Edge Season 2 DVD set and Bass Edge decal. So uh, thanks for entering, and uh, congratulations, Scott.
0: Well, we appreciate Scott up there in Wisconsin. He's probably still ice fishing up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I would say so. It wasn't too long ago that I was at Indianapolis, and then being up at uh, Pennsylvania, it's still pretty cold. Well, here we got a couple of questions
0: Yeah, my friend, John. Why don't you start us off, and then I'll ask you the questions. You, you're such a wealth of knowledge today. We'll put yeah, you back
1: to work. I, I love how you put me on the spotlight here under pressure, but no, this comes, <laughs> from, uh, comes from John, and he wrote us a nice email to go along with this. It says, Aaron and Steve, thanks for your dedication to fishing and podcasting between work and school. I have little time to watch TV, but I do have time every day in my car to listen to the podcast of Bass Edge. I've listened to every one through the end of the month and enjoyed every single one of them. Big thanks to your sponsors. Uh, I will look for them first before the manufacturers because they support your excellent show. So uh, John has a couple of questions that he's going to throw out to us.
0: Well, that's some that's mighty nice comments from John Rendell. We appreciate it, John. And his two questions, Aaron, are what notch do you mainly use? I've only been using an improved clinch knot, but have been satisfied with it all the time. To use different knots with braid than you do with mono, a knot to use with soft plastics and one for hard lures like crankbaits and topwaters would be very helpful to know. And then a second question, when should I use a snap swivel? Are they only for Carolina rigs and drop shots, or can they be effectively used in other ways? I have only two rods. So I'm trying to reduce my time tying knots by using snap swivels between the line and the lure. But saving time doesn't do me any good if the fish doesn't like what I'm presenting. Thanks for the advice and thanks for the show. That's John Rindell.
1: All right. Well, let's start with question number one on the knots that I mainly use. I would say there are three main knots, one of which uh, he had already mentioned. The reason why I like the improved cinch is because it has a little less tendency when you get into something like fluorocarbon to burn on itself because of the friction that's created. You know, if you tie the three knots that I used, being the improved cinch and then also the polymer knot, I would say are the are the two main ones that I use. The downside to the polymer, if you are not very careful. Uh, in in making sure that the line does not get wrapped over, uh, because you are coming through the eye of the hook twice, and you don't wet it that is a very good opportunity for that line to create friction and it's going to weaken the knot and ultimately you're going to leave that bait in the bottom of the lake or in the fish's mouth and not be able to boat that fish. Another knot that I commonly use for hard baits is, and there's many names for this, but the raffala knot or rapala, however you choose to say that, Mm -hmm. that is essentially going to leave you a little bit of space between your hard baits and allow that to give a little bit more of a uh, erratic action. And uh, I I find that by using that knot on things like uh, chug bait or your crankbait is going to allow that bait to wobble a little bit more.
0: Boy, that makes a lot of difference. And I think that knot actually has a few names out there, but uh, it just doesn't sit you down tight, man. Right. That's what you need. Snap swivel there. You use snap swivel.
1: Well, you know, one of the things on John's question that I wanted to point out, uh, snap swivel, as I understand it, you know, actually has the snap on one end and then a barrel swivel on the other. I use those, both of those, but in separate components, not joined together, meaning I use a snap for my crankbaits and jerkbaits and, you know, topwaters, baits, things like that. That, again, allows that bait to uh, move differently and provides a little bit more action. The barrel swivel, on the other hand, like he spoke of about using for drop shotting and Carolina rigging, I do use that for a Carolina rig. That basically is what holds the sinker you know, suspended away from the bait, but it also prevents line twist. And then also on the drop shotting situation, I tie it, oh, about 8 to 10 inches above my hook uh, there again because normally I'm fishing very deep, vertical, and on spinning reels we all know that, uh, you know, you tend to get a little bit more of a line twist That by using that swivel it actually prevent those and help you have a little bit easier day on the water. So I use both components, but I don't use them together. And I would suggest, John, that any time that you're throwing like a jig or a Texas rig, uh, any bottom bouncing baits, I would not use that snap swivel as that's just going to add one more connection connection between you and your bait. The other thing that it does, it doesn't allow that bullet weight to sit nicely against the bait and the top of the hook and it looks a little different.
0: Well that's good advice for John, Aaron. I'm sure he appreciates it. But I tell you what, let's get away because I know we got peepons Ponds coming up there. Y- yeah, crankbaits. Crankbaits yeah. it is. Right after this.
2: I'm James Nigemeyer and thank you for joining us at The Edge.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Edge. And joining us this week is one of the Bass Edge regulars, and that is Mr. Pete Ponds. Pete, how you doing, man?
3: Buddy, I'm doing wonderful. I mean, I'm, I'm chopping at the bits. You out there catch one of those green trout?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. And uh, you know, one of the items that you talked about uh, this week on the show and is one that uh, really I kind of put you in the category of, of being your specialty, and that's on the topic of crankbaits.
3: Yeah, you know, Aaron, I love to fish crankbait. I think everybody knows that. And uh, you know, I guess what you do the most. Or you know what you what you love the most, you do the most, and and I fish a lot of them.
1: And certainly, you know, that comes into play with with what you have confidence in.
3: Absolutely. You know, if you have confidence in a bait, you're going to fish it more and you're going to fish it more effective as well.
1: What can you give advice? I mean, obviously, we don't have enough time to dive into all the things that you do with regards to your crankbaits, but what advice can you give us concerning when fishing with a crankbait?
3: Well, you know, I think in some of the past podcasts, we've talked about sensitivity and things like that, but I would like to talk a little bit more about the types of crankbaits. You know, in the cold weather seasons, I usually try to throw a crankbait that has a, a real tight wiggle or narrow wiggle like a uh, Rapala or a wrap style crankbait, whereas, you know, and on up into the summer and the fall, I use a crankbait like a Bandit or a crankbait that has much wider wiggle than, you know, the tight wiggle. As the water temperature warms up, I tend to go to a, you know, a wider wobble.
1: So whenever, let's say, you're at the tackle counter and you're looking at the Rapala or what you had mentioned, the, the Bandit, how can you tell if it's a narrow wobble or a wide wobble?
3: You know, that's a good question. One of the best ways to tell is the width of the bill. And also the width of the crankbait. If it's a slender crankbait with a narrow bill, then, of course, it'll wiggle real tight. And that's what I'm looking for in the colder weather. And and the wider bill seems to wobble more. And, you know, whenever I'm at the counter looking at these, I, I always make sure to look how they're made. You know, most of these crankbaits are made where they're glued two parts into one and there's a seam down the middle of them. And you want to make sure and look at those very well to make sure the seam is blended well and they're, and they're tight together. That affects the running of the crankbait so much, and sometimes down there at the counter and, and, you know, find the best ones in the package. And believe it or not, there's some crankbaits that are the same model, same type, same style, but they have this little kick to them, and uh, they seem to outcatch the other ones. I know all your listeners, you know, have one favorite, you know, lure or crankbait, and that's that's really a ticket there to figure out the difference between that bait
1: and the others. Sure. And what is the thought process as far as where you are throwing these narrow wobble crankbaits in in this cooler water?
3: In the cooler temperatures, of course, I would want something, depending on the time of the year, you know, adjacent to deep water, I want uh, a flat, close to deep water, and when the water is starting to warm, those fish are going to start to move up on that flat. But, you know, most of the time I'm looking just outside the flat. In winter, you know, as it starts to warm up, of course, you move up to the shallower water.
1: What about as far as the depth that you're targeting? How do you choose the depth of crankbait that you're going to be throwing for that day?
3: You know, Aaron, that's such a relative word because it depends on where you are in the country. And I know you already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to say it again anyway, because I think that it's important. You know, if you're on a Table Rock Lake the then depth or, or Lake Amistad, the depth is totally different than if you're on a shallow body of water, such as Ross Barnett in Mississippi. Um, you know, on those deep highland reservoirs, the shallow is probably 10 feet. So, for those guys, you'd want a medium running crankbait in the wintertime. And how you can tell whether the bait runs medium or deep is the length of the bill and also the angle of the bill. So, if you have a more direct angle, opposite of the lure, then that would be a shallow running bait. And then a less direct angle, or one that runs more parallel with the lure, that would be a deeper running bait. You know, on those deep bodies of water, then you, of course, fish a little bit deeper generally than you would on the shallow bodies of water. Well,
1: and, and in closing here, Pete, one of the things that I've seen you do numerous times is employ those electronics and find out where the positioning of those bait fish are in the water column.
3: I think that's probably the key Sometimes, you know, we just take it for granted that uh, everybody knows that, and they don't. I mean, you know, when you get in, get on the lake, you look at your electronics and see, you know, what depth are the shad using, what depth are the main forage using, and that's got a big key on how deep the crankbait needs to run that you're fishing.
1: Well, certainly great information, Pete. I always enjoy talking to you about any type of fishing, and especially when it comes to crankbaits. You're kind of the master at that. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Any closing thoughts uh, before we get out of here, Pete?
3: You know, Aaron, I just, I tell you, I feel like we just started talking <laughs> <laughs> um, what I would like to do is get your get your listeners to, to uh, look up on you know dot com and uh, ask some questions. Ask us some questions. I enjoy replying to those questions. And there's a lot of questions that you guys ask that, that makes me think. It's kind of like you know asking me a question I don't know, and I love to find the answer, which m- helps me learn as well. So you guys keep on asking those questions, okay?
1: Well, Pete, uh, thank you so much. You're always so generous with your time. Best of luck in the upcoming season, and uh, looks like we'll be talking again next week uh, right here on the edge about rivers
3: oh great thanks aaron and i enjoyed it and i appreciate your call
5: Now, you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing Is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage. Over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com.
1: Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Steve, where are we heading out to next week?
5: We're down in Alabama
0: with elite pro Randy Howe. We're fishing Logan Martin right outside of one of my favorite places, Birmingham, Alabama. And we'll also have Pete Ponds along to talk about
1: fishing rivers. Well, uh, it's sure to be an exciting show. Be sure and join us uh, for this show on the Outdoor Channel where Bass Edge is seen three times weekly at 8 a.m. Thursdays, 9 a.m. Fridays, and Saturday afternoon at 2.30 all Eastern time. For the latest Bass Edge information, merchandise, and for an opportunity to win prizes and ask the pro questions, log on to BassEdge.com. For Steve Brigman, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you next week right here on The Edge.
4: This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by b Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.